0: Good afternoon from New York City. This is The Baseline. I'm Jeremiah Hosea. We are privileged once again to have an utterly amazing guest, somebody who has been uh, quite important, I would say, in the medical freedom movement, a person who is a multidisciplinary scientist and a PhD and a surfer. And I'm very pleased to welcome on the airwaves with us Jessica Rose, Ph.D. Are you there, Jessica?
1: I am. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can hear you. Excellent. Hopefully there won't be too much of a delay of any kind. But um, thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. I'm a huge fan of your work. Thank you for being accessible so we can get you here on the uh, PRN Airwaves, the Progressive Radio Network. And I realize you were double dipping because this is your second appearance on PRN this week, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's OK, because there's so much to talk about. And um, first of all, I want to get right into the subject of your recent sub stack and this thing that is sort of the new big deal in this inquiry into the vaccines, the COVID vaccines, of course, is what I'm referring to. I, I don't even like to call them vaccines. I call them products that were falsely marketed as vaccines, et cetera. Um, That offends a lot of people, but I'm I'm not thrilled about these uh, interventions that were forced upon the public, and they seem to be rather harmful from all that I've gathered. And, you know, just to make it clear, by the way, Jessica, I'm a bass player. Um, I'm a chess teacher. I mostly teach young children. I'm a father of two young kids. I'm a family man. I actually left school after three semesters. I was doing pretty well studying history and philosophy, but I went on the road Um, playing bass, and I wound up basically being a a bass player for 20 years. And um, I'm just a concerned citizen. I'm an autodidact in my own right, but I claim no expertise or authority in these areas whatsoever. I'm inviting guests such as yourself to help illuminate some of these matters where, you know, it's pretty difficult. And I would say, well, I'm very pleased with myself as a self-trained scientist over the past three and a half years. Once we get into the DNA stuff and the genetic stuff, then I start tapping out. Um, so I'm hoping you can make some sense out of this for us and, uh, explain to us, first of all, what's going on with this issue of DNA contamination? What has been observed? What are the concerns? And my third question in that little, uh, trio of, of questions in terms of what's going on now is simply why is this being discovered now why is this a breakthrough now three and a half years into this whole ordeal the floor is yours please jump us uh, get us uh, jump started in terms of this understanding of what plasma gate is
1: um yeah PlasmaGate. gate so first i just want to say if i dip out it's it's my internet signal so so be patient and wait for me to come back um, right I'm also a bass player. Have oh, that's that. so cool. Was my first instrument.
0: Oh, I hope we could jam yeah, it sometime. I,
1: I, yeah, one day, I bought a Fender Precision a 1950s reissue when I was 17, and so it was like my my first uh, musical instrument, and I, I taught myself how to play by learning every single No Means No song, which is a Canadian punk band.
0: Oh, cool. <laughs> that, that is so awesome. Yeah, it, it was now I'm even a bigger yeah, fan no. of yours, as if that were possible. I didn't think that was possible, but now I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, just through the roof um, enthusiastic to have you on this show. And by the way, I, w- I want to correct my pronunciation, plasmid-gate. I think I might have said plasma gate, but again, this is not my wheelhouse. Yeah. So we have this very interesting thing of plasmid DNA. So what do we know about this, Jessica, and what are the concerns, and why are we discovering this now?
1: Yeah. So, um, probably the the best question is, uh, yeah, why did it take so long, huh? Um, because this is the kind of thing that A, isn't supposed to happen, and B, um, if it does happen and it was known uh, in terms of, you know, product contamination, then why did everything just keep moving forward? Um, that will be questions for uh, litigators to ask soon. So the we're talking about the Pfizer and the moderna modified mRNA products um, when we're talking about DNA contamination uh, in terms of the COVID-19 injectable products. So the it has to do with the way that the modified mRNA was produced. Um, so there's a basically a five-step manufacturing process that was used, for the products that were produced for commercial use, which are the products that were injected into people. This uh, manufacturing uh, technique or setup was different than um, than the setup that was used for the products that were used in the clinical trials that Pfizer used, for example um what i mean by that is it's it's literal there were two processes used and they were called process one and process two and th- they they basically created different products the product that was the basically the difference is this the modified mrna was made um using different methods to create dna so your your dna um and your mRNA and your protein are kind of linked in this um, this central tenet of biology. So you start off with your DNA, and that gets transcribed into messenger RNA, and that gets translated into protein. So it's that's what we're talking about here. So in order to produce this modified mRNA, you have to start with DNA. So the way that you make that DNA is different in these two processes. So. For the clinical batches, they used um, PCR. And for the commercial batches, they used a plasmid E. coli system. So I'm going to leave the process one to the side for a sec, because people aren't going to be concerned about what they were injected with as part of the the commercial um, rollout of these products. So a plasmid is a circular DNA. It's literally just a closed circle of DNA. And within this circle, there are little bits of different kinds of DNA. And one of those little bits is the gene that encodes the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2. You have some other little bits of DNA that are essential for transcription. You have a promoter there, you have... um, some antibiotic resistance genes which are going to allow you to select out the bacteria that have taken up this plasmid and I'll explain that in a minute so you have um, as and and by the way this we do this we do this in biotech Um, we do this for many reasons if we want to overexpress proteins for example but I won't bore you with that. I'm just trying to make the point that this isn't something like wild and new. This is something that we do. The difference here is the modification of the, the RNA and uh, perhaps some of the steps were um, had some corners cut. We don't know. So the the reason they did this, that they shifted to a process to manufacturing process was because they needed to upscale. So you need to produce a lot We needed like billions and billions and billions of shots right so we need to produce a lot of product so the way that you produce a lot of modified mrna is by making a lot of dna first and what do we know about bacteria they grow really fast it's really cheap to grow them um it's really you know to every 20 minutes they double they're really good at taking up these plasmids they actually plasmids come from bacteria so um we treat these bacteria and we, we put them in a nice warm environment. We give them food, we give them antibiotics and we, um, we introduce these plasmids that we've made that carry the spike gene into them in specific ways. And then we, we shake them, let's say overnight and we would just let them go they have a big party and they double every 20 minutes and voila in the morning you have a massive amount of bacteria and uh technically you have a massive number of plasmids and each plasmid carries this this gene so um basically what you do then is you um you take out the bacteria uh, of interest that are carrying the plasmid using the antibiotic resistance gene. And then you linearize the or you get rid of all the the riffraff surrounding the plasmid and then you linearize, which basically just means you you cut the circle and it becomes a line. (laughs) That's basically what it means. And then you do something uh, reaction called in vitro transcription and that produces your uh, modified mrna because you are your inter- the reason it's modified is because you're substituting out uridine's for n1 methyl pseudouridines and this is how this mrna is modified this was done on purpose because when you introduce um or re- when you replace uridine's with n1 methyl pseudouridines you're actually uh making an mRNA that is uh, it's stealthy when you introduce it to the innate immune system of a human, for example, the the innate immune mediators can't see it for, for lack of a better way of saying it. So it makes these guys basically what it does is it makes them stay in the body longer and they, it makes them resistant to uh, removal and detection this was done on purpose. This was the design. It's, it's going to come with a, an enormous number of potential problems. Um, but we're not going to talk about that. Because uh, we're going to talk about this, this DNA thing. So if you've been paying attention, you could probably figure out that once you get to the end, and you've done your in vitro transcription reaction and subbed out your use, you have a modified mRNA product, but you also might have some carryover of DNA, and you might have something called uh, endotoxin or lipopolysaccharide, which is part of the E. coli membrane. This happens when you use the system sometimes. So at the end step, the the most important and expensive step, by the way, you have to clean your product. The only thing you really want to carry over for wrapping in lipid nanoparticles is this modified mRNA. So, you have to clean out your DNA. You use an enzyme usually called DNAs-1, but there are different kinds of enzymes to cut up DNA for removal. And also, you remove your endotoxin because you definitely don't want carryover of that into a product because if you inject endotoxin into someone, you could kill them. And, you know, technically, that's not what they're trying to do. So, um, what we think happened? Oh, and by uh, b- by the way, it's it's crazy. I haven't even mentioned Kevin McKernan. This was all discovered by Kevin McKernan. He's um, he's got a company called Medicinal Genomics, and he has a lifelong career in genomics. This is what he does, and he stumbled upon this. Uh, quite by accident when somebody had uh, sent him some of these bivalent visor vials, and he needed a control for some other thing that he was doing in his lab. And he, he discovered these, um, these DNAs quite by accident. This work, by the way, while I'm at it, has been reproduced in multiple labs. One of the first people to reproduce this work actually set out to debunk it and was surprised to find out that Kevin was correct.
0: Was that Philip Buchholz, by so, some chance?
1: That's right. Okay, yeah. Do- Dr. Philip Buchholz. And David right? uh, speaker? Yeah, David Speaker. Uh, we we've recently um, put out a preprint of the latest in this work. He's uh, a Canadian uh, vaccinologist, immunologist, and he's uh, he's actually tested many, many vials. So. Um, we this paper that we re- we recently put up on a preprint server is uh, showing that work. And so this is only Canadian um, data. These are lots that were given in in Canada, and there's uh, pharmacovigilance data from Canada as well. So go check that out. It's on um, OSF preprints. And uh, let me just read the title so people can look. Oops, it's not coming up very quickly, is it? Never mind. Um, So um, what we think happened here was that the product, well, clearly the product wasn't cleaned properly. So that could either have been um, negligence, or it could have been that the DNAs just didn't work that well. Um, But what we think happened is that something called DNA RNA hybrids were formed um, this happens you know it's it's also not something like super naturally special DNA RNA hybrids are a thing um, we as humans have um, uh, specific molecules that remove these things so that they don't accumulate in our bodies because if they actually do accumulate um, we we can have all sorts of problems like genomic instability so it's possible that these hybrids were created somewhere during the the end stages of the manufacturing process and the problem the reason we think this is what happened is because the dnas wouldn't work on them so it makes sense and it's it's interesting to us at this point because it's almost possible to believe that they couldn't they wouldn't have anticipated that but in another way it's it's kind of hard to believe that they they mightn't have. Um, maybe they should have tried different DNAs. Is um, the reason I think that it's it's implausible that they didn't um, that they didn't they simply didn't do this uh, work properly is because there are all sorts of endpoint measuring that we do. We measure for DNA contaminant levels, and they cannot surpass certain um, standards, certain levels, certain thresholds. We test for endotoxin. Uh, they cannot surpass certain levels. So there, are, And there are different kinds of ways to do this testing. And usually, different methods are used to kind of make double or triple sure that you don't have impurities in your product. Because that could be disastrous—not um, not just for human health, but for your for your company if that's what you care about. Um, so uh, the bottom line here is something went wrong. Um, it's not acceptable, and Kevin was the one who discovered it. None of the regulatory bodies uh, discovered this. Nobody along the line who very likely admittedly knew that there was a problem did anything about it so it was a a citizen scientist basically who after like you said three odd years um discovered this and and brought it to life independently brought it to the public and as soon as he published his first article on this I, i i mean him and i are colleagues anyway since uh since this all started i i just about like my draw dropped to the floor i'm like you're you're you've got to be kidding me like i understood immediately what it meant Mm -hmm. when he said that he discovered this and it it evolved very quickly because he was dedicated to finding out if this was real if it was reproducible He, he made all of his methodologies um and like everything was absolutely transparent from the beginning so um, what this means is that okay well first before i say what it means every single vial that's been tested in five different independent labs with different vials that came from pharmacies unopened untampered with for the most part were uh they, they contain dna let's call it contamination residual uh, dna at levels that are above the ma standard Which is 330 nanograms of dna per uh i'm gonna get the units wrong anyway there there's it doesn't matter it's not going to mean anything to anyone there's a threshold and these uh for, for at least the vials that kevin has tested they have been well above that and that's i mean it's it's beyond a red flag it's it's beyond a safety signal. It's 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 something that normally in the past would have immediately caused withdrawal of these products from the market, at least temporarily until we test more vials. So we absolutely need to test more vials, and we're going to do that. Um, and we have to start testing people, too, because the reason why we really don't want to introduce um, lots of little bits of foreign dna into our cells is because of the potential problems associated with with that with i mean immunologically first of all an aggressive immune response but integration into the genome and everybody's been told aggressively so that there's absolutely no issue of integration with these products and there never will be because they're based on mrna so you know mrna can't integrate into to DNA. Since then, a paper has been published that has shown that, and this is not, this isn't the DNA contamination story, this is before this, that there is a reverse transcriptase in us called line one that acts on the modified mRNA to reverse transcribe it to DNA. And the question then became, can this integrate? Because if it does, we're, we're, in, we're in a boatload of trouble. So we don't have evidence yet that uh, this by this methodology integration has occurred. Um as soon as that paper was published people should have been tested for possible integration events but you know suppression is a is a bitch sorry to swear but um So this is more serious because this is already DNA, you probably already guessed that. Um, So we don't need a reverse transcription event. Um, And Philip was, uh, he measured the DNA using a different technique. And what he discovered was that there were a lot, a lot, a lot of little pieces. And so he compared this to um, buckshot. So basically, you're aggressively Trojan-horsing your cells with an onslaught of foreign material, some of which, a lot of which, 33%, according to Kevin's uh, findings, are, are DNA. So, let's put it this way. No one can say that there's no chance of integration and problems associated with that. No one can say that because it hasn't been shown. And until it is shown definitively, and I I mean with a lot of people, a lot of people, like 100% of a million people don't have integration events, that might make me feel a bit better. Um, We cannot say that this isn't a problem. And that's what the, the pushbackers are starting to say. Now, in addition to, well, let me continue that thought. If you have, an integration of a small bit of DNA into a gene that's important in your genome, you can imagine that bad things might happen. Let's just go all the way with an example here. Let's say you have an integration event inside your p53 gene. So this this gene is the so-called guardian of the genome. Hmm. It's very important uh, for making sure tumors and and cancer doesn't uh, run away and have a big party on you um it's it's a surveillance uh guy and so if if you interfere with the functionality of your surveillance system um you're you might be in trouble if you have um an integration event in another essential gene let's say one that's in charge of double-stranded DNA repair you know we're having double-stranded DNA breaks all the time and we have repair mechanisms that fix them this is the ebb and flow of life um but if you have a defect or an introduced um, dysfunction of one of these necessary genes, you're in trouble. Um, So one of the other things that Kevin found, it's not just random little bits of DNA that we're talking about here, we're talking about specific, um, specific bits of DNA that have function that don't have any reason to be there, by the way. <laughs> so one of them is called SV40. Um, it's a, There's a promoter and an enhancer that Kevin found in this plasmid. So if you're using the E. coli system, like I described, because this is a, a prokaryote, you there are certain promoters which are the guys that start transcription that you use to optimize your system um to optimize you know um uh the transcription part of uh your 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 manufacturing process basically so we use something called a t7 promoter commonly in in you know on the bench um and so it's interesting because that Pfizer has actually disclosed their plasmid map that they claim to have used for the commercial production. And it does show the T7 promoter upstream of the gene, the spike gene, but there's no sign of the promoter and the enhancer and another antibiotic resistance gene that Kevin discovered. So the question is, why the hell are they, these plasmids that are supposed to be identical different? And more disturbingly, why are they different in this particular way? Because the SV40 promoter is for mammalian systems and it's very, very, pardon me, strong, which means that, it'll, you know, it'll start the transcription of a whole bunch of stuff. An enhancer is basically added to enhance transcription it's it's another optimization guy and it doesn't need to be there. It absolutely doesn't need to be there for this system and even more disturbing it, it keeps getting better. Um, the SV40 enhancer through our our discoveries um, has as a special function. David Dean is a gene therapist um he, he's basically dedicated his life to studying, the best way to, um, to successfully do gene therapy. And one of the things you have to do as part of uh, being a gene therapist is get stuff to the nucleus efficiently. So he's done a lot of research and he's published that the SV40 enhancer, none other than, is one of the most efficient guys for bringing stuff to the nucleus of cells, the nuclei of cells. So what the hell is it doing there? And is this thing functioning to bring stuff to the nucleus and into the nucleus? Is essentially uh, optimizing integration of things. I mean, it's it's mind boggling that um, that all of these things are there, and that Kevin, you know, and and the small lot of us are are the ones bringing this to light. And now that we're getting a little bit of attention—not enough, but a little bit. Um, I mean, Health Canada has actually come out and said, yeah, we've confirmed this. There is an SV40 promoter in there. What do you know? Apparently, they had the sequences. They were given the sequences a long time ago. But they they just kind of took it on the word of the, the manufacturers that everything was hunky-dory. And so they never checked for anything. They never checked for any additional functional uh, bits so um yeah the question becomes are integration events happening is this inducing cancers in people because if you introduce like i said um a a small piece of dna into the, the the guardian of the genome uh you'd kind of think uh along the lines of cancer and it's it's also, I mean, it's leaves rustling in the wind, but it's it's interesting that the pharmacovigilance database that I'm looking at for three years, this bears, um, has a cancer signal out the yin yang. And and what I mean is it's not just the number of adverse event reports that is like much higher than they've ever been in the past, and this is per million shots. This is, you know, it's it's normalized to the number of shots. Um we're looking at uh, rare cancers the development of like male breast cancers and acute lymphocytic leukemia in old people mm. uh which which is weird because that's that's a childhood leukemia and so it's like you, you you look at that and then you you hear oncologists saying i have so many of my patients who are in remission who've come out of remission and we don't know why And suddenly they have stage four cancers and you're hearing the word aggressive cancer being used a lot right since 2021 so it's like it kind of it begs the question is there something you know related here i mean it is is one of the main reasons we're seeing the uptick in cancers that we're we're seeing explained by this so it's a question for now but you know, as scientists, we need to answer these questions, especially since it literally concerns billions of people. Um, we need to find out. And and also, just one more thing, the endotoxin. We don't have any data on that yet, um, whether or not endotoxin got through. Um, but when you inject if you did inject in endotoxin into someone um that managed to slip its way into a vial you you at best would induce anaphylaxis and at worst you would kill someone it's it's very serious so i'm not sure if you you remember but there was this particular lot that was uh that had a big red flag put on it somewhere in the states it was um 041L20A hmm. A Moderna, a lot that um, that was associated with anaphylaxis. So. Weirdly enough, even though it got this red flag an anaphylaxis is serious. If you're not near, you know, medical attention or an EpiPen, you can really easily die.
0: That was the first so adverse event of, I heard like, of was an anaphylaxis case, and then I heard of a second one shortly thereafter. And that was, you know, that was my Steve Kirsch moment where I was like, "What's going on here? Like, people are really getting hurt by this stuff."
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, risk benefit. Hello and so yeah it's weird because they should have pulled that particular lot off the market which i thought they had done but apparently they didn't they kept injecting people with it Hmm. and it could be we were thinking you know as, as as a community of thinkers that it was likely polyethylene glycol inducing these reactions because they coat the lipid nanoparticles with that stuff and uh you know that's a thing we we know that people have um allergic reactions and anaphylactic reactions to PEG. But it's also possible now with this new information that it's endotoxin. So again, we, we I, d- I don't know how you would actually measure that, quite honestly, but we we need to do more, more looking around. Um, and by the way, it's easy to test people for integration events, you just have to like, the best thing to do would be to look at sperm cells and stem cells because these are the ones that really matter because like, um, if you, if you're talking about germline or stem cells, um, having integration events, that's, that's not good generationally. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's easy to check, which is another like, Hmm, moment. It's like, how come as soon as this paper hit the preprint server, because it has like a hundred thousand hits or something by now. Um, how come the authorities aren't, like, saying, holy shit, stop the presses, stop the shots, and let's start testing people? Because, you know what I mean? It's like, how come how come things are so bloody different in the COVID era? Why is there, why is everything backwards? Um, it's, um... It's pretty clear that the the interests of the people are not being addressed and i'm not even sure how many people really realize how bad it is because of all of the censorship and suppression so it's one thing to have like pharmacovigilance pharmacovigilance databases like having alarm bells going off like grant to richmond um for any any adverse event you can imagine thinking about um but when you have something like this it's, it's just it's just another thing that we found that's problematic but this this could be serious in in, in the long scheme of things and yeah it's um it's it's the next thing <laughs> yeah I'm Just well, like let, waiting let me, the let me ask thing you <laughs> yeah
0: seriously um waiting for the other shoe to drop is that how the saying goes or the, something like that something. But um, I wanted to ask you about something that you mentioned, uh, which is your analysis of the VAERS system. You've become quite an authority on that. And I guess to recap quickly some of what I know about it is VAERS, first of all, is underreported by nature. It's underreported for various reasons. Um, One reason that I keep pointing out is, well, you can't file a report when you're dead, uh so mm-hmm. that's one thing but um another thing is that it's not supposed to be a perfect data set it's a it's a safety signal and once certain thresholds are crossed it's supposed to be responded to but i find it so amazing how the pro vaccine zealots just keep criticizing vares like oh that's nonsense and anyone can enter a vares report where you know i don't really see it a very realistic thing to say that people are you know, breaking federal law to make false medical reports with no profit to be gained from that whatsoever. Like, are you literally making a case that people are sitting around, you know, doing these fraudulent actions? Uh, I don't really buy it. But, um, you know, if, if theirs is flawed, as I've stated on this program before, I believe, then make a suggestion to improve it But you can't just belittle the only safety system that we have. We should be looking into the system, supporting the system. And so strangely, with all the negative uh, metrics that we have to refer to, the people who have pushed this, like you just mentioned a moment ago, they just remain unfazed in their push for everyone to receive these shots. And it's it's it's, it's macabre. It's, it's, it reminds me of a horror movie. You know, I find it also very strange that these, and a, and a caller mentioned this at the end of the last program, that, you know, these people, they don't have medical training whatsoever. I mean, you know, people Yeah, people get,
1: bureaucrats.
0: Yeah, it's like know, people right? say, you're not a doctor. And my answer to that is, first of all, well, I'm not trying to administer medicine. So that's number one. I'm not trying to be your doctor. I'm trying to defend my own human rights. And number two, well, Bill Gates isn't a doctor either, and that didn't stop him from being the global vaccine czar. So um, tell us about theirs. What have we seen? What do we know? Um, What harm is indicated through the alarm system that's been set off by this vaccine adverse event reporting system that we have? And if you could maybe mention, I, I think there's also this other thing, which has gotten uh, insufficient discussion, I think, which is the V-safe data and maybe other mm-hmm. uh, safety databases you may have looked into. So where do we stand with with VAERS and, and other such systems?
1: Um, Yeah, so VAERS is about 30 years old and there's like vaccine manufacturers um, are completely immune from liability. So basically, all that people get is this um, this database that will hopefully be able to help someone else if they file a report. <laughs> that's what that's basically what it is. That's what we get. And um, it is volunteer. It's a passive reporting system, but it works. This is another thing that people um, need to be reminded of for like trashing it. Um, and by the way it's it's not a person in high school it's it's a data set you don't have to be so uh, aggressive against it people right <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh man anyway so um the the rotavirus vaccine in from 1999 was pulled from the market because of a safety signal that emanated from vares so there were um you know a few hundred indisseception cases um in young children that were noticed you know because we we monitor this system for safety signals. That's what we do, or that's what the owners of the data, the CDC and the NHS do, and they notice this signal. And so they did what they always do. There are like a a, a couple of things that you can um, use as assessment tools. You can do um, the PRR analysis, Bayesian analysis, or you can use causality assessments. So you you use something called the Bradford Hill uh criterion uh criteria which there are 10 of and you you basically just test six out of 10 of these and you come up with a verdict very likely unlikely that there's a causal situation so this was done and it was determined that the rotavirus vaccine was very likely the cause of the intussusception so they pulled the product so VAERS works that's the point um It's functioning. Uh, It's functioning very well since 2021 um, as is obvious if you go look at the number of reports in the context of the COVID products. So the average number of adverse event reports per year for the last 30 years was about, oh, and for all vaccines combined pre-COVID was about 39,000, okay? All over America, all the products combined 39,000 adverse event reports. It might sound like a lot, but in 2021 alone, there were just shy of a million reports in the context of just three products, the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the Janssen. So what everyone was saying was, well, it's obviously because there are more shots being doled out. So I, I was like, all right, that's not a bad argument. Let me check that out. And it takes a little bit of napkin math in three minutes, and you can you can simply compare it to the flu. Like you don't need to look at all the vaccines combined; just look at flu. There are about two point three times more COVID shots in a certain time frame. Let's just say, like a time frame of a year, doled out as for uh, as per the flu shots. So if you if you if there's no additional danger, if there's nothing different about the COVID shots danger-wise, injury-wise, then you shouldn't see a disproportionate number of adverse events uh, or or, um, or range of different types of adverse events. But there's a huge discrepancy. And so it's obvious, it's obvious that there's something different about these products if there aren't only, say, 2.3 times more people reporting as opposed to, I don't know, however many times there are, I can't remember, but Obviously they're different. And so uh I, that, that has been completely debunked. It's not because there are more shots given out. Absolutely not. Uh, there's something different, and of course, there is something very different about these products. They're not conventional vaccines at all. It's a totally new technology. Two 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 new technologies, as a matter of fact. The nanoparticles and the modified mRNA. Yeah, so um so Vers has been emitting these horrifically loud signals since 2021, and they've been ignored. In January 2021, like six weeks out from the rollout start, there was enough of a safety signal in death, just in the reports that had been entered. We're, we're not talking about backlog, we're not talking about anything, just the ones that had actually managed to get into the front end uh, VAERS system way more than enough of a signal to shut that thing down. If you if you look at interseception, and that's interception, that's not death, death is permanent. So no answers from any of the CDC director or the NHS about like, uh, hello, how come you pulled a product for something less than this? How come we're not even seeing a causality assessment done? What the hell, you know what I mean? So it's tumbleweed. Um, and so, over the years, I've just seen—I've seen everything grow. It's still growing. I mean, the there are over fourteen thousand different types of adverse events reported in the context of these products to date of a possible twenty-five thousand. <laughs> um, from myocarditis to neurological problems to death to you know you name it, um, cancer, you name it—it's there, and it's there in excessive um numbers as compared to the past uh that's important and yeah it's uh there's over like 1.5 I think we're up to 1.6 million reports in the context of only the COVID products now as of October 6th right um and still still it's tumbleweed it's like no no VARES is overreported you know that that argument is such bs theirs is underreported that's that's just a fact about passive reporting systems there's only going to be a certain percentage of people who suffer an adverse event who are ever going to report it's human nature
0: yeah I mean if you're you know, suffering a- you don't have the wherewithal sometimes to enter reports and such things you know you're you're well, concerned about your yeah, well-being
1: exactly. exactly and uh so yeah it is underreported we don't know exactly what it is but here here's the the clincher. We don't even need to incorporate an underreporting factor because the numbers are already off the scale as they are. Right. They're off the charts. I mean, it's um it's a, it's a moot obnoxious argument. Um and uh yeah, it's amazing after all this time it, it's still not really being acknowledged. Um so yeah, and and vSafe was pulled, I think. They're they're not using that anymore. I don't know much about it. And uh the 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 pharmacovigilance database in Europe and the UK, they're they're all showing the same thing as bears. There there's like a massive uptick of everything uh Cardiovascular incidents are off the charts, myocarditis. I mean, everybody knows what myocarditis is now. Like, why Why the hell is that? It's because so many people are, are being diagnosed with it since the shots. I mean, hello, is anybody listening? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty tragic.
0: Yeah, I was in an interesting Twitter space yesterday. I don't wanna mention the space because I really don't wanna publicize these people. I found them to be very rude when you said obnoxious it just reminded me of my late night interaction in this particular uh, Twitter space. And they're so aggressive. It was sort of an anti-anti-vax space, I guess you could say, the double negative. We were kind of joking about that before the show. But um, I, I find it amazing that we're in this atmosphere, and I guess this is my next question. We're running out of time, unfortunately. But could you speak a little bit to the atmosphere? It's like, Anybody who raises a technical question is labeled a grifter, you know, anti-vaxxer and grifter. And they, they just they start as uh, one of the um, other people who was sort of on my side, who got lambasted after I did on this particular Twitter space. Um, you know, he said, before you dogpile me and then they jump, they just jumped right in and, and proved him correct and dogpiled him, which was kind of an interesting phrase, I thought. But um yeah, it's such an aggressive atmosphere. I mean, is that relatively new? I mean, I'm sure there's been hostility between scientists and, and rival scientists and whatnot. I know
1: oh, yeah. Einstein had and his rivals, actually, but
0: isn't this a new atmosphere of hostility? Is is it fair to say that?
1: It, it's actually a really lovely um, thing to bring up because I often say, um, usually to myself, <laughs> that I really miss honestly i really miss that nerdy science like arguing thing everybody who does science knows what i'm talking about like if you're if (laughs) even if you're like a mathematician and a statistician it's like you're always arguing and fighting about you know something like math is better no stats is better and there's there's never perfect agreement but that's the gorgeousness of science it's like that's what makes us move forward because people don't agree and i really miss that so that's not what we have now since the um the hiring of the 77th brigade and all the um the trolls there are people whose job it is now they're hired to do this
0: that's what it seemed um, like to me they, shills is the term right they're shilling
1: yeah and uh, and so that like th- this whole thing of gr- this is my philosophy whatever someone is calling you that's what they are it's really simple Hmm. it's it's so like um it seems oversimplified but it's really not i've applied this ever since i kind of realized that the truth in it and it it really works it's like all the people calling like i i sit on a floor i don't even have a chair with my cat i mean i i haven't been paid a dime for any of this (laughs) Right. and i'm I'm happy with it i'm fine i have enough to eat i have a roof over my head i'm not a materialistic person so it works for me but like people call me a grifter and, <laughs> and that i'm i'm for the, for the free trips and shit like that and i'm like <laughs> wow that's like so far from my reality so it's like that must be what they do <laughs> yeah, it's so pretty amusing there's this yeah, there there is this. Um, it's not real though, right? It, it's a it's a paid manufacturing um, takedown system. It's not based on science. It's not based on reality. It's it's just another profession, um, unfortunately. But the thing about it um, is that I, I've written a lot of articles on on this whole thing of hit pieces. Um, I've I've had a number of hit pieces written on me and I gotta tell you um, I'm I'm kind of like a a sensitive human being and the first time I I read a hit piece written about me by someone who I never spoke to it really uh, rattled you yeah that's a word Um, it made me feel creeped out and kind of like I don't know it's it's a really hard it's not a good feeling it's like a lot of like dark like not nice feelings come uh because you it it feels like someone's stalking you and it's it was a female in this case but it nonetheless felt really really creepy and i I'm a visualizer, I'm an empathizer, so I always put myself in the shoes of the the person across from me, so to say, and so I was imagining this woman writing this this personal, hateful piece about me, And, and, and what the hell must she have been thinking to conjure this up, because... I mean, first of all, she never emailed me to to try and ask me any questions, because clearly it wasn't about finding out the truth or getting to know me. Um, I'd never spoken to her, like I said, and and so I, it, it just left me feeling like, why why is this person pretending? No, it wasn't even that. It was like she created an entire version of me that was so far removed from reality that other people who also don't know me who've never spoken to me will probably believe because they don't have they they haven't reached out or they won't reach out to actually ask me hey is any of that true um it, it was it was really awful and so they're paid to do that like they're they're motivated some of them the worst ones though i got to tell you they're the ones who really enjoy it right. and that's a new kind of like gross evil person that i hadn't really encountered before this they really enjoy being as what's the word um let's let's just be kind okay oppositional as they can be no matter how far removed from reality or the truth it is what they're saying science personality nature whatever you want to pick it's wild how they take such pleasure in the reactions that they get and so very early on it was like right after I got the first series of hit pieces I decided this is too energetically draining and that's its function it's to drain me to distract me from doing what I'm doing that's the whole point of a hit piece to to hit and destroy and so I was like all right I'm I'm not gonna fall for that I'm going to put this under, you know, I'm going to file this under, um, you're an idiot, and I'm going to publish publish how I feel about it. So I did, you know, about hit pieces and stuff. And I'm going to move on, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and then, you know, it's you start sharing stories with other people who've had the same thing happen to them. And, and they say, it's just common to say, "Ah, oh, you were just over the target. And so it's like then it becomes inspiring. <laughs> so it's like all right. All right. I just like start counting those hit pieces and
0: uh yeah, consider it part I of get. your uh, your rock star resume at this point.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, apparently yeah, one of the things this person wrote about me was she seemed to have started out as an actual scientist and degraded to some anti-vac i don't know wow. it was something so like,
0: yeah. gross they and go right she there
1: mention- yeah she failed to mention that i have an, a- an actual phd in computational biology which kind of qualifies me to to do certain things and i also have an applied math degree w- where i learned like it was basically an epidemiology degree so it's like she made all. The, anyway, I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it doesn't
0: make them look good I think the heavy-handed approach of just needing to denigrate not, the but... person that you're arguing with is you know, it, it's it, it, It's a faces themselves basically, but actually I'm really sorry, Jessica. We actually have to wrap up um, no. we're, kinda, we're up against it. Yeah, I'm so glad you joined us. It's really an honor Um Please everyone check out unacceptable jessica on substack her substack is off the hook it's an essential substack and guys you should really be following you know the the strong substackers it's such a great time for information i mean that's one good thing that's come out of all of this horror is yeah, this a new free exchange of information there's people stepping up um jessica if you could please subscribe to my substack for free i think it's pretty cool It's more op ed I don't go into the weeds about scientific stuff that's past my threshold. But I've tried to translate things for people who didn't even research as far as I did. But I hope we could do this again sometime and keep up the great work. And just thank you so much for your uh, persistence. And thank you for your courage and for your knowledge. And just keep up the great work. Thank you so much for being here
1: you're welcome it was a pleasure and i i thought you you had a bass background because of your voice cause you have a lovely bass <laughs> well voice.
0: thank you thank and
1: you anytime, yeah no anytime this was really really um pleasant i, I was a little bit like uh I, I have to submit a paper like tonight, and I was, I'm was i a little bit like, <laughs> so yeah. this kind of calmed me down. Oh, that, that's
0: awesome. Yeah, go uh, drink a, a nice cup of tea or something, and, and good luck with your, I did, your work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, have a great rest of your evening, I guess, over there, and um, hope yeah. to speak to you soon. Have a great evening and weekend.
1: Anytime. Shoot me an email, and we'll reconnect.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much. Peace, everybody. That was the baseline.